Welcome to the Gate Crashers Podcast, where we storm the gates of publishing and dare to talk about the realities of the industry. I'm your Ivory Tower representative, Amanda Liedeke, literary agent and vice president at McGregor and Liedeke. And I'm your self-publishing insider, Therese Crow, novelist and speaker. It's the summer, which means we are going to slow things down. And instead of doing weekly episodes, we are instead going to do interviews with publishing professionals. These interviews will air every few weeks, and they'll give you insights into the journeys and thoughts of authors and editors and other people who work in the publishing industry. So kick back, relax, and enjoy our summer interview sessions. So today I have joining with me author, editor, world-renowned writer, Ben Wolf. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Hi, Carice. How are you doing? Good. If you don't know, Ben and I um, are pretty good friends. We've been married for the last five years, but you haven't been on before. But I wanted to bring you on for our summer interview series that we do because you and I do something as writers that I think we do better than almost all of the other writers out there, especially in the self-published world. I think we do a great job at it. And that is live events. Yeah. It's probably the only thing that we are really, truly very, very good at. (laughs) So I thought it would be fun to take an episode and talk about live events, talk about what we've experienced with with them and what we think makes us successful at live events, makes us more successful than some of the other authors who might be doing the same event as us and where they can improve. I love it. Let's do it. Thanks. Right. Thanks also for having me on. You're very welcome. So I want to start with the foundation, which is yeah. what you are selling. So that would mm-hmm. be your books, your audiobooks, your short stories, your memoirs, whatever it is that you as an author have published that you are going to be physically bringing with you to an event. So we'll start there. And I think, and I'm betting that you agree with me, that the real foundation for um, being successful at live events comes from having great cover art. Yes, 100% yes. If you don't have an absolutely fantastic cover, and this applies not just for live events, but also for online sales as well. If you don't have a great cover, a cover that helps your book stand out, then it's going to be much harder for you to make sales. And in a live events type setting, as you'll come to learn throughout the rest of this interview, your cover art really sets the tone for the overall look of your entire booth, as a matter of fact. Yeah. So typically at the type of live events that we do, uh, we usually have a space that's about eight, maybe 10 feet wide, sometimes Mm -hmm. as little as six feet wide. Um, and then usually yep. like what, eight to 10 feet deep. The, this, the spaces range from 10 by 10, which is, that's a pretty standard size at most comic con type events to sometimes it's an eight by 10. Sometimes it's an eight by eight. Sometimes it's a six by eight or an, uh, uh, a six by six even. And I've, I've even had some really, really small spots at times as well. A couple of the cons that I first started doing before your book ignite was out i had half of a table right 
and nothing really behind me. And, and I was sharing it with, with another vendor. And so it, you know, based on how many books you have available and how much space you think you're going to need, that will kind of dictate what size space you should be looking to get that. And of course the price. Yes. And so when we have these spaces, we, you know, that's where we set up. We've got to stay within yeah. that space. We always have tables set up. We try to maximize as much of our table as we can, yes. including building into corners or building back so that we mm -hmm. can create layers in there. We always have tablecloths that help uh, look the space, help the space look attractive. Mm -hmm. We've recently added bookshelves. We have folding bookshelves that we add yep. to because yep. that adds layering and it makes it look more professional. Um, one of the other things that we do that I see that's really hit and miss with authors is that we actually have standing banners. So we have an yeah. eight foot by eight foot author banner that yes. has our pictures that says something. Meet the legends. Meet the legends. Right. Because yeah. nobody can sue us for that. You can't prove right. that we're not legends. <laughs> well, that and and fake it till you make it. Exactly. Right? I mean, part of, part of that is, yes, it's it's a bit arrogant on, on truly on my part. Cause I'm the one who designed the banner and Chris was just like, Oh, okay, sure. But it, it's on me. The reason that we did that is because at these events, you have to convey that you are number one impression, uh, professional, professional. Yes. Number one professional. And number two, that you're actually someone that people should pay attention to it. It, seems con kind of counterintuitive because there's a lot of great wisdom out there that says, you know, stay humble, keep your head down, work hard. And that's, right, that's right. all well and good. And, and you should absolutely do that when the moment calls for it, or even most of the time. But at these types of events, you're fighting for everybody's attention, right along with all the other vendors, vendors who are selling toys, or they're selling vintage comics, or they're selling stuffed animals, or who knows what else. And so right. you've got to compete with all of that. And so billing yourself as really awesome is a practical and effective way to do that. So that's why our banner says that. Right. And we also have on our banner, our pricing structure for our books, which we'll get into in a little bit. Right. And we also have freestanding banners for our books and our series that have the covers on them and a quick tagline copy that gives you a little snippet of what each series is about. And yes. this is one of the reasons why we know that great cover art is so important is because if your cover is bad, then you can't make great graphics. You can't make graphics that are going to attract people because that's going to be the basis for everything. You know? Exactly. Exactly. So some real quick, some elements of a great cover, you need to have a really engaging foreground, whether it's a character or an emblem or some sort of image, you have to have a versatile background. And that background is especially important because that can become the background for a lot of your backdrops and banners and even your tablecloths and even little postcards or business cards. I use my backgrounds for all sorts of things. And we'll get into that a little bit more later as well. Yeah. And then the other element, that, which is a really, really important element that a lot of authors overlook or they don't really give a lot of thought to is you have to have really excellent typography. If your cover artist is great, they're a brilliant illustrator and they can create beautiful works of art, but they, they are dropping some really lame font and not doing a, a nice treatment to your title font or to your author name then buy the art from them 
and find someone else who's really right. skilled at typography to do the typography because trust me it will help your books pop even more there's nothing worse than a really beautiful cover that just has miserable typography agreed it's that's a pet peeve of mine as well and then as a bonus if you have great typography you can ask the designer or the artist what font they used and then you can download that same font sometimes it's free sometimes you have to pay a small fee to, to download certain fonts but then you can use that font whenever you're designing or you're having these these other mediums designed for your booth right that way it all looks consistent it's all similar across the brand and it, it'll look nice and cohesive and also if if the artist has done their job it'll look really engaging yep Another thing that we do whenever we set up for these events is we merchandise our merchandise. Yes. And if you if you haven't worked in a retail space or if you're just not familiar with how that works, merchandising is essentially the art of making a product look like something that you need to have. It mm -hmm. looks attractive and it looks like something that you want to go up and touch and explore further. Um, so one of the ways that we do that is by making it very, very clear that these books are for sale. And this is one of yes. the things that kind of gets under my skin a little bit when I see other authors doing it, where, you know, they'll have their table set up, but they've only got maybe three or four copies of each book sitting out. And you're kind of, or, or worse, I've seen it done where they've had just one. Yeah, and it's just too. one book on a book tree. And it's, it's not immediately clear is this for sale? Why are you here? Is this are not you for sale? Showing us your book? Right. And or are you selling it? Exactly. And it reminds me of like, you know, if I go into Target, there's going to be 10 of the same purse. Sure. I do not feel bad about picking up that purse or whatever it is and looking at it, touching it, checking it for, you know, well, would this work for me? If I go into a designer store and they only have one of them on the shelf, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to pick that up. I'm not going to touch that. Like I don't, right, that's too right. much, that's too much pressure. That's a really so good it's, point. It's I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that in, in terms of, of designer products. That's a really good point. Your books as awesome as they are, they are not designer products. Right. You are going for quantity as far as sales go. Obviously the quality that's, that's implied because you're a great author. You've had it edited. You've had a great cover design. That part is done when you're at an event at a live event you need to have a lot of books because it signals to the to the audience hey these are for sale they're awesome and you should come get one yep um one of the little tricks in merchandising as well is the more you have of an item it will either make it look a more expensive or b more legitimate mm. nobody's too worried about books being expensive so it's really it makes it look makes you look more legitimate if yes. you have invested enough money that you've got 30 copies of this book on your table instead of five you know this tells me that the author is invested so usually the way we will set up our books is obviously the series are all stacked next right. to each other right. in chronological order of how you should begin reading them to the end um, and then i usually place them at about a 45 degree angle um, so that the spine is kind of at an edge. So you get a little hint of it, but you don't quite see everything. That's right. one of the tricks they use in car commercials. I don't know if you know that, but I like, didn't know that. yeah. So, right. They won't show you the actual like face on of a brand new car until like the very end of the commercial. Cause they're teasing you to keep your attention so that Ooh. you'll keep watching it. 
So it's it's the same. That's why I can't get enough of car commercials. Yeah, I know. It's really getting to be a problem, huh? Um, so Don't so yeah. <laughs> so you wanna you wanna have them kind of tilted so that you can see the spine. And I usually do stacks of five books in the front, seven in the middle stack, nine in the back stack, and then we have a book tree set up on that back stack with one of that same book outward facing with the front cover. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that front stack, we will turn it over and that one I'll lay so that it's immediately available for you to read the back cover. Yes. So that when people are cruising by, you know, you're removing objections. You're removing like, you know, cause there's fewer reasons for them to not stop exactly. and pick up the book. They, exactly. they don't even have to pick it's, up the book to read the back cover that way. Right. And some people will, they'll just, they'll just kind yep, of hunch over, lean over like, like and, chickens a little yeah. bit and look at it. <laughs> and, and to which you say, you can pick it up if you want. And right. sometimes they do. And sometimes they don't. Right. So if you're not sure, you know, how, how should I make my books look attractive? Head on down to Barnes and Noble. Yeah. You know, that's go good take research. a look at their displays. Cause a lot of times they will have displays out for an entire series. That's, you know, yep. the book six finally came out and they'll mm -hmm. have everything and pay attention to that. What makes that look good? So another thing that we always have on our table is freebies always swag stuff you gotta have some sort of freebie yes ben is the absolute king of owning his own swag i am you i own, am shameless you own posters you own magnets i regret you own nothing t-shirts we're, we're sitting in my office recording this right now and it is literally every wall is full of either artwork from my stuff or on occasion artwork from other people i like to support like uh different yes. different artists and, yes. and stuff like that your office is literally littered it is nerd kingdom yeah. and i love it here but i wanted to talk about um specifically two of the things that we give away for free that i think are the most successful for sure us. yeah one is um reader magnet stories with a qr code and the second one is literal magnets yes. with our book covers. yes so, so we we've got front end and we've got back end right exactly. so the magnets function on the front end for people who have not purchased something and then the the postcards with the qr codes for our reader magnet stories those we have started to use as back-end freebies like gift with purchase type things and it wasn't always that way at times in, in early on when we were still kind of figuring this out right we would just be like here you want a free free book and then we realized well that's you know that's nice but it's kind, it's kind if of they, if nice. they get something for free, then are they, where's the incentive for them to buy anything? Exactly. So, and what I, what I want to say about the magnets is, you know, you, we've seen so many authors do bookmarks. Yes. It's been bookmarks for so yes. long and I throw them away no matter how nice the bookmark is. Yep. And on top of that, not everybody reads paperback, you know? That's Some true. people want to be on their Kindle. So even if they were interested, you know, the, the bookmark may not have application for them. However, a right. magnet, nobody ever has enough magnets for their fridge. A bookmark is made to function for a short time and then it wears out and it yes. gets thrown away. A right. magnet, it only gets used one time, maybe you move it around a little bit here right. and there, but it mostly just sticks there to your fridge or to whatever metal thing you have in your house. And it stays there advertising your book, if that's what you choose to put on the magnet, it advertises your book 
in perpetuity. We have had probably a dozen or so people come back to us or, oh, or to me least. at least, at least, right? At least. And they have told us, hey, I still have your magnet on my fridge. Mm-hmm. Or, I, hey, my friend has your magnet on their fridge. Yeah, a friend of mine was working installing garage doors. This is a short story. He was working installing garage doors and he had to go into someone's house at some point and he took a picture of their fridge and on it was a magnet for the ghost mine. And this was some person right, that I had met at a, at a convention and I, I said, here, you want a magnet? And they said, okay. Right. And, and I haven't had ghost mine magnets for about two years now. So that magnet has been hanging up there for a year and a half or two years. Right. And we were just discussing prices on magnets earlier. And you said that for ordering about a thousand of them, they're going to work out to be about 24 cents a piece for a three inch by four inch magnet. Right. If I, I think that's the correct size, I would have to check, but it's, and that's from one particular retailer and, and prices will vary depending on sure. where you order your magnets from. We use a company called four over.com. So that's the number four and then over O V E R four over.com. Uh, you need to apply and then get approved for an account with them. They don't approve everybody. You kind of have to make your case as to why you deserve an account because they are technically a reseller. And so, but that's not a bad thing for authors who are entrepreneurial and who aren't making bajillions of dollars yet. You can also then turn around and potentially sell some of those products to other authors or to anyone who who might need a banner or magnets or postcards printed so there are other advantages to having having an account with four over but i digress that um that 24 cents each kind of seems a little bit steep i think to some people it can but um to me you know if you're advertising on amazon Mm -hmm. you're gonna pay at least 24 cents 35 cents every time somebody clicks your ad and goes to your book and you have no guaranteed sale. And that's just the one time that they see your ad. So comparing that to having your image on their fridge or in their workspace, wherever they end up putting this magnet and you're constantly giving them impressions over and over and over again. Like we've said, we've had people right. who've come back and said, okay, well, I guess I saw you guys somewhere because I've got your magnet. Tell yeah. me about these books, right, right. you know? That, that's happening more and more. And it helps It helps also that we, we do events more or less in the same geographic area every year, year after year. And so people are starting to recognize us. They recognize our book covers. The magnets play into that. I had a gentleman email me just this week, as a matter of fact, because he had my magnets on his fridge and he invited me to um, either this fall or, or possibly the spring come and speak to his students. He teaches at the local community college to come and speak to his student students about uh, indie publishing mm. and, and that type of stuff. So awesome. you never know what else might pop up as a re- result of just investing that 24 cents and giving it to someone so that they can have it on their fridge forever. Yeah. And then the other thing that we now do as more of an earned reward are those kind of postcards that have, you know, the cover or cover art on them for whatever story it is that we're giving away. And on the back, it has a QR code with a URL. And what you're using that for is to build up your newsletter. Yes. So um, you have a science fiction 
series, you also have a fantasy series. Yes. And you also have corresponding mailing lists for science fiction I for do. fantasy and then corresponding short stories to sign up for those mailing lists as well. Yes. So, um, and then one of the things that we've found that's really kind of made people light up and I, it's just copywriting really and you stumbled into it accidentally you said it once and I saw the woman's face light up and I was like oh we're using this forever mm -hmm. because uh one of the things that you give away in your fantasy series is the entire book zero the origins book of your fantasy series four individual stories yes right. and yeah. so it used to be sometimes people would buy it and then you'd hand them the free digital copy and they'd be kind of confused. Like, wait, you could have just given this to me for free. What did I just spend money mm -hmm. on then? Yeah. And so what we've changed over is to the using the word entitled. Mm -hmm. Your purchase today entitles you to a free digital download. So now you have the paperback and the digital copy. Oh, wow. Thank you. People are really more accepting. It seems more like you're really giving them something of extra value instead of right. something that you could have just, well, here, I'll give you this book for free online. It you functions know? as a bonus, as an add-on, as, as a freebie, mm -hmm. as as icing on the proverbial cake, Exactly. as opposed to being an afterthought almost. It, right. it, it, it serves to incentivize readers to go that next step and sign up for your author newsletter or join your Facebook group or wherever you direct the QR code or the link to, as long as you present it in the proper way, that's a fantastic opportunity to make them a fan for life. Yeah. It's also come in really handy when, say, dad and son are buying a book together or somebody's got money, but their friend doesn't. And they say, well, I'll, I'll read the book after you're done with it, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then you can, no, don't worry. If you make a purchase today, I'll give you a free digital copy of yep. it. And then it's, oh, wow, you're really giving me something, you know? The codes we use are, are non-exclusive, which means that anyone can use them. I don't, I'm not smart enough to figure out how to use exclusive codes and right. have every card be printed slightly differently and and i don't know that four over would be the right venue to have them right printed like that but for us it, it makes sense to have them be non non-exclusive because the more people who read that read our stuff or who sign up for our list that just works in our favor exactly and then the last part of our setup that i think is really crucial is leaving your space to sign books so yes. behind that third row, or sometimes um, we kind of have table runners that go over the front and then over mm -hmm. the back of the table that have our books on them. Mm -hmm. um, again, having that cover art is so important. And sometimes we can leave space in there so that you have room to sign the book. Always offer to sign the book, always offer to personalize the book and never add an upcharge because right. really like this is, this is the joy. You just have made a new reader. Yes. You want to be able to do this for them and to make it special. And that's, we'll get into this a little bit more, but that's part of, you know, selling to somebody mm -hmm. is proving to them the value that they're getting by investing in with you today. Absolutely. Well, one thing, since you brought that up, one thing I want to add real quick is when you have a lot of books published and, and we are very much at that point now. Uh, between the two of us, I think we have something like 16 books out. You have a lot of books published. I have a lot. That's true. I have a lot of books published. You you handle I a lot am, of other things in our lives, and I handle a lot of the book writing and business stuff. And I for that, I'm very greatly supportive. appreciative. Yes, you're very supportive. <laughs> um, when, when you, as an author, have lots of distinct different books available, 
your table space then comes at a premium. That's part of the reason why we started getting bookshelves mm -hmm. because then we can stand them up and your, your display grows vertically instead of laterally or, or out horizontally. Mm -hmm. So what, what we've also started to do is instead of having three rows of books, because that can, or, or uh, three columns of books, I should mm -hmm. say, on top, sitting on top of your table, you know, that five, seven, and nine that Carice had mentioned earlier in the podcast. Instead of doing that, we've switched to just two towers of books per book instead. And that allows us to have a nice lane of, of space behind the books. Right. And it still looks really good because there's still a lot of books on the table. It's just not quite so many books. And then we, we I mean, we, we essentially bring the same number of books. It's just the extra ones that we were stacking in that those back rows, they go in the bookshelves now. Right. And so they're all consolidated into one place. And then you've got a nice wide open signing space to sign books, to collect a whole bunch of books that people are purchasing if they're buying multiple copies. You can stash your postcards and your magnets and, and other little goodies that you wanna have back in your table. That's that's kind of your lane to keep all that stuff. So that's that's another kind of inside look at, at how our display setup has changed over time. Yeah. Um, and then I wanted to get into, you know, there's, there's a little tip of event etiquette, which is you're really not supposed to advertise in the back of your space. Right. Um, with, with our eight by eight foot author banner, it's blank on the back. It's white. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is a lot of times at these events, there'll be two rows and vendors mm -hmm. will be lined up back to back against each other. And if there's somebody on the other side of you who doesn't have an eight by eight foot display, mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, it's, you know, it's a, it's a comic yeah. seller or a toy dealer or something right. that way you're not encroaching on their space. Mm -hmm. You're not, you're not making it seem like, well, I thought, wait, I thought you were going to have books here because of the sign, right? you know, they, they paid for their space the right. same as you paid for yours. Exactly. And so let them have their space. Don't try to it's not really stealing, but it, it's not far off from it. I would say don't, don't right. try and, and, and take advantage of someone else's lack of having a sign. Just exactly. Just put yours up. It can be big. It can be gaudy based on whatever the rules of your particular show are. Cause some, some actually do have height limits. Yeah. Some shows let you put up a 14 foot sign and that's really cool. And I love that other <laughs> shows are like six foot, six feet or higher or, or lower. I right. should say that's it. That's all you're allowed to do. And then as long as it fits within the, the left and right of your booth, then, then you're fine as well. But right. you don't want to snag someone else's space inadvertently or, and certainly not on purpose. The other thing that I see that goes wrong for a lot of authors regarding just their merchandise is their pricing structure. Yes. Um, and so when you are when you are a self-published author and you are printing your own books, your print costs are going to vary obviously by page length and right. you know, what kind of cover you go with a lot of different factors, the size of it. But I'd say as a general rule, you can expect a paperback copy to probably cost you somewhere in the range of roughly $6, six, seven. It, it again, it, like you said, it right. depends it's on the length. Depend on the length. Yep. And it depends on the, the trim size really doesn't, typically matter as long as you're sticking to one of the basic trim sizes 
anywhere from uh, five by eight up to six by nine for a novel or a novelette or a novella. It's all based on the page count. The trim trim size doesn't really matter. It's it's solely based on how many pages you have. Right. And then of course you have to factor in your shipping costs too on the back end of that because it's right. one price to print the book and then it's another price to ship you a book or several and books can get pretty heavy and pretty expensive pretty quickly. Exactly. And so what I see a lot of times is people who just, I think, don't value their work enough. Right. And so they end up pricing it at, well, it's $5 for this novella and it's $10 for this full length novel. And it's just not, um, it's not competitive or comparative to what you would pay in a bookstore. And people at events are expecting to pay prices exactly the same that they would pay for in a bookstore. Because if your book is too cheap, it communicates to the audience that you don't have full faith in mm -hmm. it, that they're not yeah. getting, they're yeah. not getting $15 worth of book. They're getting, you're getting $10 worth of book here, you know? Right. And, and it, that's so true. Right. And, and I know a lot of authors who that's, that's not true about their writing. It's not true about their right. story. They are absolutely worth 15, $18. So to go over our pricing structure for our regular novels, it is one book for 18. 17.95. Yep. Or two for 30. Yes. Which is a great, it's a great price point because, you know, if you've got $20, you know. That's one book. That's one book. You can, and you'll get two bucks back. Exactly. Yes. And it really only seems like, but for 10 bucks more, I could get a second book. Right. And that's how it registers. It's a little right. bit of that psychology there. And so we have a lot of people that we upsell from, well, I think I'll get this one. And then it becomes, well, just, you know, they're two for 30. Well, okay. I'll try that one too. And bam, there you go. You've now sold yes. double the amount of books that you had before that. And then from there, we keep it at $15 a book. So it's one for $17.95 or two for 30. And they're all $15 after you get more than one. Three so for 45, four for 60. And that, that comes in handy, especially if you've got a series of books. If you've got a trilogy, yeah. you can get the whole trilogy for 45 bucks. Exactly. And then uh, we're going to get into this next, but have an omnibus version as well. An omnibus version is all three of the books in your trilogy combined into one gigantic volume. It's right. thicker. It might be a slightly bigger trim size, depending on what you what trim size you started with. All my books are six by nine. She likes to go with five and a half by eight and a half because it's a little smaller and she writes young adult. But the omnibus is important because you can you can still buy it at a competitive rate. You, you the author, can buy it from the printer at a, at a good rate. But then you can charge still a decent amount for it and have a good margin. And, and the one piece of this conversation that we haven't touched on yet is talking about your margin. Right. And, and so let's get into that real quick. As yeah. far as the concept of having a margin is something that you learn in Business 101. If you don't understand this, I recommend looking it up and just doing some reading on it. It's not a complex process. Essentially, whatever you spend for the book, that's one price. Uh, factor in your shipping too, okay? So for each book, it costs roughly five to six to $7. Whatever you charge for the book, that's a different price. And so you subtract your cost of the book. I know this is super basic, so bear with me if you already know this stuff. You subtract the cost that you, the author, paid for the book from the 
the price that you sold the book from. And what's left, that's your margin. That's how much you marked up the book. Mm -hmm. And so for us, we tend to operate on a one-third, one-third, one-third pricing structure. And so if our books cost $6 to print, including shipping, don't forget to include the shipping, we sell them for 18. That's three times the cost. Mm -hmm. So one-third is your cost. One-third is your profit. So that's the next $6 that brings you up to 12. And then the final third, that is the $6 that you spend to buy the next book. Mm -hmm. And so that way, by planning it out in that, that structure, one third is your initial cost, one third is your profit, and one third pays for the next print run, you're always making money and you're never losing money. Because right. books, they're, they're, uh, unless they get wet or, or ruined or set on fire or eaten by a goat, they are a non-perishable item. They can just sit in plastic tubs right. in perpetuity. And as long as outside elements don't damage them, they can just sit there and you can sell them later on. As long as a raccoon does not make a nest in them. We had that happen in not, the spring. Yeah, not so much bit. in the books, but yes, we did have, uh, <laughs> we think it was a mama raccoon sitting on one of our shelves, yes. nestled in, uh, getting ready to probably pop out some babies. Exactly. In our garage. Exactly. So I chased her away. So when, um, yeah, that was weird. But uh, so with the omnibus, back to, we're going to get on a rabbit trail. No, it's so, a raccoon trail. Oh, oh no. Uh, so with the omnibus versions, what we do there is you have one that is for a three book. It's a trilogy. Yes, and then one... you have another omnibus that's for a four book saga. Yes. And so the four books, you know, individually, that's 60. Yes. We offer the omnibus for 50. Correct. And then for the three book trilogy, you know, it's 45 for those three books or for the omnibus of that one, it's 40. Some people will not want a giant, heavy, thick book. Correct. And that's fine. Other people are not bothered by that at all. And you can sometimes get people going from, well, I'll get the first two books in the series too, but what's this big one? Right. And you can upsell right. them from getting only two books. Well, now you've got them on the omnibus. Now that's a $50 sale instead of what started as an $18 sale of, I guess I'll try this out, you know? We'll talk more about this in the third section of this interview, but the type of reader who buys an omnibus is oftentimes very different than the type of reader who wants to buy the books individually. Right. The type of reader who is like, yeah, give me the omnibus, that they're going to read through that probably very quickly. Within the next two weeks. Right. And the, the type of person who who is more of a collector than a consumer, mm -hmm. they are more likely to want each individual book because they love the cover art. And again, if you have great cover art, that makes your books even more collectible to right. that type of that type of reader. Right. One, one other little note that I wanted to mention about the omnibus is as far as margins go, the cost for me to print my Blood Mercenaries omnibus, that's the 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 four book, the four book omnibus the cost is a little bit higher, but the margin, excuse me, the cost is lower to print the omnibus. It's about $15.26, according to my notes here. And we sell it for 50. And so the profit is, is $34.74. 
by contrast, it cost me about $23.50 to print one copy of each of the four books, and I sell them for $60. So I, I technically make a little bit more profit because the profit is $36.51, but the percentage of the profit that I'm making is better on the omnibus. Right. So it's that that's very mathy, and I'm not a math guy because math is hard, and I write books. That's that's hard enough for me. But keep that in mind as well. You want to price your omnibus so it's competitive with your other with your individual books, mm -hmm. but you also want to make sure that you still have a workable margin right. attached to that. Right. And as far as making your books, you know, I I really would say that if you have a book that's at least 60 to 70,000 words, it's a full-length novel, mm -hmm. I would not price it less than $15. Agreed. Unless you have a misprint. You had a misprint once on I did. an omnibus set. It was where, on my sci-fi omnibus. Yeah. Yep. Where you had left, you put in the wrong final chapter. And so mm -hmm. for that one, we marked it down from 40 <laughs> to 30. And within a couple of events, it was gone. And that yep. enabled you to, to fix it and get the, the correct book printed. Right. Right. The only other, um, you know, other than a misprint, the only other reason why I'd say is, hey, mark this inventory down is um you know if you have a cover that you're not happy with anymore mm -hmm. if it doesn't represent your genre but you've got 50 of these things lying around yep then mark them down get them out of there and use that money to help pay for a better cover for your book so it can be more successful in the future one last note about pricing we, we only touched on this briefly and maybe we'll touch on it again in in the sales process but we carice mentioned that we charge 18 for one or two for 30. I am never sad when I sell one book at $18 right. compared to two books for 30. Why? Because my margin on one book is still that one third, one third, one third breakdown that I described earlier. Right. Technically, I'm making less money when I sell two books. Proportionally speaking, I'm making more money because I've sold more books, but my margins are not as good if I sell more than one book because I'm offering the customer a discount for buying more books. Right. And so that's, that's another thing to keep in mind. If you're pricing your books properly, you won't have to worry about making a good margin because if, whether you sell one book or whether you sell two or three or a hundred, you still have enough profit margin built into that to be able to take some home and then put some toward buying your next print run. This was part one of a two-part interview with Ben Wolf. In just two weeks, we're going to air part two, and that will wrap up our summer interview series. Thank you for joining us. And as always, if you like what you hear, leave us a review or hit me up on Facebook if you have some ideas for content in the future. 